In this episode, I'm talking again with Richard Briggs from Eka in New Zealand. Richard is the GM for Warmer Kiwi Homes, Public Sector and Transport. We'll be looking at new EV developments in New Zealand, the future of hydrogen in the transport industry, plus calculating how much it actually costs to own and run an EV. I'm Adrian Maidment and this is the EV Quest podcast. Hello Richard. Good to talk to you again, Adrian. Um, I didn't talk to you that long ago, but there's sort of always stuff going on in the EV industry. Uh, any sort of recent developments you think noteworthy? Yeah, look, we're, we're, I'm not sure when we last spoke. It was definitely last year, wasn't it? Yeah, and towards the end last What has happened notable? I think there's been some amazing sales data emerged from 2022. Uh, I'm not sure... All of your listeners are up to speed, but you know the total vehicles sold with some form of electrification grew from about twenty-three thousand to over forty-one thousand in twenty twenty-two. So that's an increase of seventy-seven percent. Fourteen percent of those were pure electrics. And so, what is interesting from the stats, if I recall correctly, the top-selling Bev was the Model Y with over four thousand units. And then followed by the Tesla Model 3 at about 2,800. And the BYD Atto came in third. But interestingly, both the Tesla Model Y and the BYD were only introduced in the second half of 2022. So, you know, if the Model Y had been around for 12 months, you know, it would be knocking on the door of a top three overall sales, which is really pleasing to see and quite exciting. But the challenge, I think, with that is, as we spoke last time, Eka is now going to have to certainly accelerate that charging deployment, um, and and clearly there needs to be a lot more done in a lot quicker time frame. But, you know the sales is really now ra- ramping up. The other interesting thing is the latest Eka consumer survey monitor uh, is revealing the consideration for purchasing petrol and diesel cars uh, is at an all-time low. Uh, and favorability towards EVs and confidence in EVs is now over 50% and really, really pleasing. So I, th- I think we're reaching a bit of a tipping point with with move towards EVs. And then globally, um, about 10.5 million EVs were sold in 2022. Uh, that's up over, well over 50% on, on the year before. Uh, ICE vehicle sales continue to decline globally. So, so what we're seeing in New Zealand is certainly being mirrored around a lot of countries. Uh, I think Bloomberg were reporting by the end of 2023, they're expecting over 40 million EVs to be in operation around the world. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it that that's great news, I, I think. But, you know, that, that Tesla Model Y sort of nudging $80,000 is great for those that can afford it. And I, and I think despite the these stats, the EV batteries are expensive. Uh, it is the Achilles heel that's sort of keeping new cars from, uh, from being so affordable to many. And battery prices are only going to go up as demand for raw materials go up. What is interesting is, you know, those big selling vehicles, the Tesla and the BYD, and to some extent the MG we spoke about, are now using lithium-ion phosphate batteries that are around 20% cheaper than the batteries used in other vehicles. So, so it, it is interesting there. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully that will 
have a flow-on effect down the track. Because I think Tesla's bringing in a cheaper car, aren't they? Uh, so, pop, pop, pop. Rumors at this stage. Um, yeah. When you're selling the cars and the volume you're selling at 80,000, know, why would you want to bring in a cheaper one? It's only going to hit your, your unit margin. The one interesting development, probably worth talking about, you're saying what's coming up globally, is, you know, lith lithium ion battery is expensive and will continue to be expensive. Lithium ion is something worth looking into. And what's interesting is these, the sodium is replacing the lithium and it's expected to be 40% cheaper. Uh, lithium's, is, lithium, yeah, it's not that rare, but it has to be mined. There is a cost. And there is a limited supply, and therefore supply-demand imbalance means the price goes up. I think the price rose about 300% for raw materials last year. So sodium ion is looking, if from what I'm reading, to be about 40% cheaper. Um, and critically, of course, it lacks the, the, the raw unsustainable materials such as lithium, cobalt, and copper, and graphite, which are all in short supply. So... BYD have announced they could be putting that into production as early as 2024. And I think you'll see some probably material change in pricing if that does come about. So it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, Adrian. Cool goes always. Maybe um, just one of the people things maybe holding people back is uh, just a general thing is why do the charges always seem to be breaking down as an experience? See a lot of people talking about, you know, the charger broke down. Yeah, look, at, look it's a topic of conversation, Adrian. And, and, and I think, you know, there was a fear over Christmas that, you know, people are going to have to queue for hours and hours for a charger and, and risk it and try to get to the next one. And the next one will be broken down and, and you know, it'll all end in tears for everybody. But, but the reality is it didn't. So I, I, I think... Charges are complex electrical devices. They dispense a hell of a lot of power. They work in exposed environments. And then you mix with that the human element, you know, rough usage and vandalism, cars run over cables and dirt gets into plugs and pins get bent. There's a risk of problems. Um, ChargeNet, who, who probably currently operates most of the public charges, are reporting a 96% uptime. So that's quite pleasing, but I suppose that statistic suggests four in 100 are faulting. And if that happens to be the charger you want to use, then you're going to get quite grumpy. Um, so, so I think the issue is largely fear and perception. Um, but look, except in the current environment where charges are more likely to be a single standalone unit, that any outage is going to be convenient and painful. Yeah. yeah. The other challenge is, you know, charges, where charges do fault and require parts, um, you know, like many industries, parts are open to the vagaries of the supply chain. A lot of these parts come from Europe. So, so, so I think the answer is, yeah, 96% is good. But as I say, the four in a hundred, if that happens to be the one you want to use, is, is a problem. So I think from an eco viewpoint, We've got to start looking at the level of redundancy in the network. 
Um, and, and I think as part of that planning process, we need to have a look at multiple charges in each key location. So if one does go down, there are others. We maybe even need to go to the extent of having a look at a level of redundancy in the power connection. You know, if, if the power, uh, someone digs up the power cable going to the site, then the whole lot's going to go down anyway, whether you've got three, four, or 10. Um, is that for some more critical sites, you know, do you want multiple feeds coming in? Now, that's going to have a cost, and we need to have a look at what is the risk of, of that single point of failure uh, in, in, in that network. And look, in some cases, it's not feasible, but it's certainly something we do need to have a look at. You mentioned last time about um, they're looking at building a, a big hub, maybe in Taupo, Taupo, I think. Is that any progress on that? So, so, so we haven't defined the exact location. It, it, it's sort of central North Island, I think we spoke about, and we've been yeah. quite deliberate in not stating a location so, so it, it, it's unlikely to be Taupo so, so we spoke last time about the three opportunities to charge the at home which is an AC slow burn uh, the destination charging which is the sort of 25 to, to, to 50 kilowatt modest charge and then the, the big charges that where I'm in a hurry and I'm moving from A to B and I need to move quickly so uh, we're about to publish in the next few weeks the successful applicants to the two cluster pilot sites. So there will be one in the central North Island area and one in the central South Island area. There'll be demonstration sites. We're going through contract negotiations at the moment, so we should be in a position. Look, I'd be disappointed if we haven't announced it by the end of the month. But what we're looking to do there for those sites is a cluster site. So, so it'll be a service station-like experience, which everyone's familiar with, where you'll have five to ten chargers uh, on a forecourt with some additional services to entertain people while, while their vehicles are charging. That will be contracted by the end of the month. We're uh, working through the timeline uh, to do to get those operational, I'm not quite sure yet when, when that will be. So uh, just moving on to another area, um, hydrogen in New Zealand. Um, what's happening with the development and uptake of that? It's an interesting topic, Adrian, and, and ECA's Low Mission Transport Fund, we've already supported several proof of concept projects, uh, like light trucks, heavy trucks, uh, hydrogen fuel cell bus, and more recently, hydrogen hybrid uh, with diesel, which is where hydrogen is actually injected into the combustion chamber to reduce the amount of diesel that's being consumed. All of these projects really are um, proof of concept projects alongside the bigger project, which was the, we're overseeing the infrastructure reference group minimum viable refueling project with Haringa, which involves the establishment of four hydrogen refueling stations and 20 trucks to operate that. Yeah, the results though of these projects are going to be critical to working out one, if there's a role for hydrogen and if there is where it is. I think what we do know, Adrian, is, is Hydrogen is extremely inefficient in its use of electricity. In fact, 20 to 30% of the energy is lost 
when renewable electricity is converted to hydrogen. So in the context of using it for vehicles to replace petrol or diesel, there are significant losses that we need to understand um, before they even get into the vehicle. And then once the losses are added up, hydrogen has an end-to-end -end efficiency of about 20 to 30%. In comparison, a battery electric uh, has around 75 to 85%, significant difference. So what can we conclude for that? I'll give, give you a, a, a real-life example uh, of using that number. So we can reasonably conclude, I think it's game over for passenger cars. I just do not see an opportunity for hydrogen cars to operate, particularly in New Zealand. There are no advantages. And a hydrogen car, by comparison, would use the same energy in a year running 20,000 as an EV and your entire average household's electricity consumption. Now, that's the sort of magnitude difference that you've got from efficiency. So, but, you know, what we are finding, there are two key advantages of hydrogen over electrification, and, and they really are weight and range. And those benefits really only apply in long haul. So what we've got to work out is, is there a niche for hydrogen and is the niche big enough to justify the investment uh, in order to put a, a, a network together? I think it's worth sort of looking at the, the the makeup of hydrogen, though, Adrian, because you know those advantages are yes, but in in, in many cases. So, so, you know, hydrogen is the lightest gas known to man. It weighs literally nothing, and has and therefore has a very very extremely high gravimetric energy density. So one kilogram of hydrogen contains a vast amount of energy, making it extremely efficient and lightweight carrier. And I think I, I read somewhere, it's something like 150 times the energy per kilo of an EV battery and, and three to four times the energy content of petrol and diesel. Very, very energy efficient. So you know, whilst battery technology will improve uh, with lithium-ion and then more experimental batteries sort of getting into the 20 megajoule a kilogram category, there's, there's all sorts. And solid-state batteries, again, coming in the future, it will never get anywhere near the energy density of hydrogen. So, so you know, the, the, the supporters of hydrogen are saying is that it is the answer for, particularly for long-haul trucks, so let's overcome the energy and efficiency because it can do this job. I think, however, to, to, to be fair, putting the other side of the coin on the table is the power-to-weight ratio of hydrogen is only part of the equation. Where hydrogen has a problem is it's a huge energy volume issue. It's inversely proportional to, to it. So essentially, the, the, the energy mass benefit gets reversed when it becomes to energy volume. The volumetric energy density of hydrogen is extremely low. So consequently, you need to now, if you're storing hydrogen at atmospheric pressure, uh, yeah, you're going to need a, a tank the size of the truck just to store the hydrogen. Um, so, so you compress the hydrogen. And when you compress the hydrogen, of course, you use even more energy to, to compress it. You can also liquefy it to get probably another 20% out of it as well. But that uses even more energy 
applying it, you need to take it to, you know, above minus 250 degrees and maintain it at that in, in order for it to be usable. So what effectively is that it makes the storage and transportation and the application of hydrogen considerably harder. It's, 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 so, so I suppose there's a, yeah, it's 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 one of those applications where, from an energy point of view, it's efficient, but from a volumetric storage point of view, very inefficient. So, whilst the truck's going to be lighter using hydrogen, it's going to need to be longer, or it's going to need to take up some of the storage space that you use to carry the goods to carry the hydrogen. So, it's a it's a double-edged sword you, you get with that. So, one of the things we're doing with the experimental projects we've got on the road at the moment is to what extent is the compromise occurring? So the hydrogen uh, supporters will say, well, hang on, if you're going to use battery, you've got a weight problem because you're carrying batteries, therefore you can only carry a lighter payload. The battery electric supporters say, well, hang on, with hydrogen, you can carry, sorry, with battery electric, you can carry a greater volume uh, than with hydrogen. So it really comes down to what it is you're carrying. If you, if you are constantly carrying goods that take your truck to its gross vehicle mass limits by weight, then hydrogen is a benefit. If you're carrying your goods where your volume capacity is used, but not weight, then battery electric is going to be the, 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 the benefit for you. The, the other one is is range, and yes, it's got a significantly greater range than a battery electric, but you've got to visit a refueler to be able to refuel with hydrogen. The benefit of a battery electric is you can stop just about anywhere and refuel it. There's always going to be a charger. There's always going to be a depot. Everywhere you go is going to have electricity. The problem with hydrogen is you've got to go and visit a refueler there's no, the sheer cost of moving hydrogen suggests the the refuel is never going to be as frequently located as uh, a truck stop or, or or a service station is today. So you're going to have to build that limitation of visiting a refueler into your into your range calculations. So it's pros and cons really for for each for long haul. And and you know hopefully within the next twelve months we'll have gathered sufficient data to help inform the market. The other complicating factor uh, that we need to look at is the emerging technology developments in battery electric. And I think a good example of that, it's well worth you and maybe your listeners going to do some research on it, but uh, the emergence of the Tesla Semi uh, has just gone into production. And I think the first early models are coming off the production line now. Tesla, to be fair, Tesla haven't actually published their specifications, but there's a few speculators from what they're seeing from the trial sort of reverse calculating what those specifications are. Uh, I, I think from memory, it's got a gross vehicle mass of around 38 tonne, which ironically is exactly the same as the Hyundai uh, truck that the Low Emission Transport Fund co-funded. It will be brilliant to one day in the very near future see those a side-by-side comparison of those two operating because Tesla are claiming an 800k range from that semi fully laden, uh, which again is, is actually a longer range than what Hyundai are claiming. 
uh, for, for their vehicle. So, so the, the, the other issue then was charge times. And now Tesla are claiming using a megawatt charger, uh, they can add 70% range in 30 minutes. You know, that's not hugely dissimilar. I think that the, the hydrogen trucks are sort of 15 to 20 minutes refill time. So we're not, you know, we're in the ballpark. Yeah. And again, coming back to the efficiency issue is if the Tesla SEMI, as an example of the electrification, can by and large do what the hydrogen truck does, and they're pretty much equitable, fundamentally the hydrogen truck is always going to use three times the amount of energy to do the same amount of work. It's just the nature of creating hydrogen, storing hydrogen, and burning and consuming hydrogen is grossly more efficient than than electrification. But you know the proof's going to be you know certainly from from an eco point of view. Let's get the facts on the table and then make some decisions on that. Maybe um, getting back to electric. Um, just on on your website. Um... So you had the tool, the total cost of ownership tool. Yeah, look, thanks for commenting. It, it, you know, it, we know the purchase price is a sticking point. We spoke about before that, you know, uh, manufacturing batteries and the current raw material price makes the purchase price of electric vehicles very, very expensive. And and I think it's probably one of the biggest barriers to to switching to an EV. So the Genless total cost of ownership calculator, basically what it does, it, it is adds up the costs relating to buying and operating the vehicle and then subtracts the residual value of the vehicle to give users an idea of the what it's going to cost me to own a vehicle for five years. So what EEC has done is use the tool to compare some, uh, some selected commonly available EVs with similar petrol models. And ECA had found that the cost of owning an EV is actually cheaper than the cost of owning a petrol if you look at the ownership over a five-year period. So the TCO tool reflects the average total cost of ownership for, for, for these vehicles based on a five-year ownership. Um, and, and it works out at about 70% the cost of owning a petrol alternative. And a lot of that comes down to the EV will sell for about 50% of its purchase price and pet and the petrol model about 43% as well, as well as being obviously cheaper to run. So the residual values in the, in the tool are calculated on information provided by Optifleet. And that calculates it based on third-party data from a variety of sources, option houses, and, and I think we're quoting about an estimated degree of accuracy of about 80, 80 to 85%. Because um, a lot of this, we just, you know, it, 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 there is still some speculation as what is going to happen in the future um, with both petrol prices and electric vehicle prices. But given, you know, the market's moving, shifting towards electrification, as I said right at the start, that the ECA surveys, the uh, favorability towards EVs is now at 50%. As that grows, the ability to sell your electric, sell your petrol vehicle is going to get harder, and the price you're going to get for that is certainly going to get lower. So I think the depreciation is, is going to accelerate. But look, coming back to the tool, the, the, the 
the nice aspect of it is that you can enter some data in that and everything can be varied. So you can put your own price of it, uh, fuel in, price of the electricity in, uh, even fringe benefit tax can be added to those calculations as well. I think the only thing to, to highlight is that it was written as a business tool. So all of the pricing in it is GST exclusive. But uh, look, encourage your readers to go and have a look and do some comparisons. It's it, 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 it's quite useful. So look, if you go to genless.govt.nz, uh, the easiest way to get to it is just go into the search bar and just type TCO, and that'll fire up the calculator. And fairly very simple to to operate. But you know what what it does show is you need to, when you're considering an electric vehicle and the upfront price is your barrier. Uh, you certainly need to have a look at the lifetime cost of the vehicle because, you know, as, as you know, running an EV is significantly cheaper than, than running a petrol car. Just on that, how do you measure, I mean, everyone goes on about the, you know, not to 100 sort of speeds when they're buying, but it's probably more important to look at the efficiency of a car, isn't it, probably in the future? Or how efficient your actual EV is? Like a yeah. Hummer, I saw that new Hummer EV at everyone. Uh, okay. That efficient. <laughs> Look, let's go back to basics. When an EV is concerned, you, you talk about the efficiency, and the efficiency is the ability to convert electrical energy into work that moves the vehicle forward, and that decides how efficient it is. It is no different with petrol and diesel vehicles, exactly the same applies. And hydrogen, we spoke about before about, you know, the, 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 you're losing a percentage of the um, electrical energy that you put into it before you actually move the vehicle. So combustion engines work by converting fuel into heat, and then those expanded gases power the engine. We all know probably about half of that heat is wasted in the most efficient engine. And it would convert around 40% of the energy into the fuel into work, which means 60% becomes waste heat as it goes out of the exhaust and uh, through the engine covering. And so when you start talking about efficiency of a petrol car, you know, it's probably quite sobering to realize that when you put 10 bucks of petrol into your fuel tank, less than $4 of that is actually moving the vehicle. Now, it's quite inefficient. Um, in contrast, an electric its conversion of electricity to move the vehicle is more like 90% efficient. You don't have that heat problem uh, that the other car does. And I suppose just as there are large differences between petrol cars and diesel cars, there are also large differences within EVs. So if you, yeah, it's no surprise that if you buy a big V8, it's going to consume more at more energy than a Corolla, and likewise a big yeah, Hummer uh, is going to use uh, more power than a, than, a, than a small car, more energy. Um, so I, I, according to most reports, the Tesla Model 3 is regarded as the most efficient EV. And, and when they measure the efficiency of EVs uh, from independent and analysts, they do exactly the same as they do with, with, with petrol cars. They, they, they use a similar cycle where they do highway use and city use and have a combined use and, and, and the tests are, are, are in controlled environments. 
exactly the same way as you as you get it. So you have the ability to compare cars, and so the the reported uh, cycle combined energy consumption of a Tesla Model Three is 196 watt hours a kilometer. That's that's what's published in their statistics. Interestingly, uh, a Polestar um, is is less efficient. I think that reports something like 230 watt hours a kilometer. So, you know, for, for every dollar of electricity you put in the Tesla and the Polestar, the Tesla is going to take you further. Not by a lot. Um, and certainly the differences in efficiency between electric vehicles is it's for similar size and a similar aerodynamically designed vehicles is a lot less than it would be for for petrol cars. Look, that there, there are differences. Um, and obviously, if you're going to buy a big electric SUV, it's going to be less energy efficient than a more aerodynamic car like a, like a Tesla Model 3. There's always going to be differences. I'd be reluctant to say that's a factor in the buying decision. Um, yeah, no one today uh, or, or previously would go out and buy a car purely on its energy efficiency. The first thing you look at is, is it fit for purpose? If I've got to move five kids, I'm not going to buy you know, a, a little two-seater two car. It's it, You've got to get the car that does the job you want it to do and then start looking at efficiency uh, within the class of vehicle that, that you're looking for to do the job. And I think the same applies with, with, with electric vehicles. So yes, there are differences between electric vehicles, Nowhere near the, the the differential, say between a Commodore and a Corolla, but I think I need to stress, Adrian, the EV, the most inefficient EV you can get today, is still more efficient than the most efficient combustion engine car you can buy today. It's a good point. So I can get the hammer then. I can get the EV hammer. It's too well. <laughs> Put <laughs> it on the road. I would recommend you get that. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to cover off? I, I do want to reiterate that we're, we're looking at this transportation decarbonisation challenge as a broader picture. And, and EVs are great. And I think if you can get somebody out of a combustion engine car into an EV, it's a step forward. But yeah, the the challenge Eka's looking at at the moment is we are a car-loving nation converting 4.5 million cars and vans and light commercials to 4.5 million EVs is not the answer. Remember you said that last time. Yeah, part of our work then is, is, is in that transition from ICE to EV is can we include incorporating other transport travelling modes to help people move around? Uh, I... Adrian, I live rurally, so I get it, that, that it's not going to be for everybody. But there are a lot of inner city two-car families could consider ditching one of those cars and looking at other other transport modes. You know, we, we love our cars, but, but some interesting stats to end on. So we did some eco-research last year, and we found that a third of all car trips are under two kilometres. So that effectively means there's a billion or more than a billion short car trips every year, about 12 a household. So if every New Zealand household switched their car 
for a climate-friendly mode of transport, which is walking or cycling or something like that, for just two of those trips a week, we're only talking 10 kilometres, that would save 100,000 tonnes of CO2. And then another statistic, you know, 70% of us commute by car. So even if just one in five of those commutes could switch for an active transport, biking or walking, or even work from home one day, that would save another 80,000 tonnes of carbon emissions. So those two actions alone, you know, is the equivalent of taking 75,000 cars off the road. Now, I challenge you and, and, and your listeners, is, to, is that feasible? You know, the, the, the issue of moving EVs to cars does not fix the congestion issue. You're still going to be inching along. And I used to live in Auckland, so I know. I used to inch over the Harbour Bridge every morning with several thousand other single occupancy cars uh, complaining that congestion, you know, if everybody else was off the road, I wouldn't actually be in a queue, not realising I'm contributing to that problem myself. So, you know, we've got to look at the much bigger picture than just the, the, the EVs. Mm, good point. Let's not talk about Auckland because me the shakes. That's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. I think that's it. I think we'll stop on Auckland. A big thanks again to Richard Briggs for all that valuable information. If you want to find out more about what EECA does, go to their website. It's eeca.govt.com. Dot NZ.